Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go with another interview with an accessibility practitioner. And today I'm really pleased to be speaking with Glenn Walker. Hello, Glenn, how are you today? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well today. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, it's good to uh, have you here with me for this conversation. I'm uh, currently in my Vashon Island home office, which is near Blink's headquarters in Seattle, Washington. Where are you talking to us from? I am in northern Utah, up near the uh, the Idaho border. All right. Well, yeah, I've been through that area a number of times and a beautiful area. So, uh, uh, <clears throat> well, again, thanks for being part of this. And uh, a good place always to start is just with you, uh, you know, briefly letting us know, uh, you know, what kind of work that you're doing now. All right. Yeah. So I've, I've worked for a variety of different companies uh, with accessibility and the first company I got started with is where I, I got my accessibility beginnings, and it was a software company, and we had a lot of different products. So we we're helping different teams with a with a variety of different things, working with developers and testers and designers, as well as the product managers and working out new features. So I've done both working at individual companies where we do all of our accessibility work internally, you know, not not outsourcing any of the accessibility. But I've also worked for companies that help other companies with accessibility. You know, so we worked with companies that did outsource their accessibility work. So working both internally as well as with other companies that work with a variety, you know, so we'd work with financial institutions or universities or retail, you know, quite a variety of, of experience because, you know, as you know, accessibility spans across all different industries you know every company has a website so they're going to have some kind of digital properties out there and it really doesn't matter what the focus of the company is because accessibility is going to touch it pretty much no matter what it is well one of the main purposes of having these conversations is to help those who uh, may not see a path uh, for a career in accessibility uh, to uh, let them know our stories. So uh, why don't we do that with you? If we can kind of go back in time, you can sort of maybe pick out uh, some of the early things that led you uh, on the journey that brought you to here today, and then we can kind of move our way up to uh, what you're doing today. Okay, yeah, and I, I never imagined that I would be doing accessibility full-time and that it could be, you know, uh, your whole job, 100% of your job is accessibility work. Um, so when I started, it was kind of for maybe personal selfish reasons. I'm very much a keyboard user. So I have a software engineering background, a computer science degree. And so I wrote code for a long time, very much a keyboard user when you're a, a software engineer. And the company I worked for, we had a lot of different products. And over time, we were losing some of the keyboard, I guess, keyboard accessibility of the product itself. We're going more toward, we started off as a mainframe product and then when PCs came out and this goes back <laughs> a ways, but you know, when the mouse 
was coming out, you know, very much a mouse point and click type interface. And as we focused on that, we moved away from remembering that the keyboard was a very integral part of interacting with the computer. And so for me, that it kind of bugged me that I could not use the keyboard for a lot of features in our software uh, for me personally. You know, I didn't like picking up the mouse and having to go click on things. So I started working on code to fix keyboard issues. So it was very much kind of a, a self-serving purpose. I wanted it to work better for me. So I wanted to go fix the code and, and have the keyboard work. And this was in the early 2000s. And uh, I really had not heard of accessibility. It was still pretty new. I mean, WCAG 1.0 had only come out in uh, 1999. So it was only a few years after that that I started working on keyboard issues. And like I said, it was really to help things work better for me. And I didn't really know I was doing accessibility work at that time. But I also had a, a friend who was um, visually impaired that used a screen reader as well. And he was also a software engineer. And so he wrote code using the screen reader. And so I got to understand a little bit more about how a screen reader works. Uh, we talked about some of the technical details, like of the API and you know, how the accessibility tree and, and all these kind of internal details, which are interesting to learn about if you like the technical side. But I think probably more important was more of the user experience with how someone expects a screen reader to work and interact with software. You know, what is the user experience like to navigate through uh, pages and, and using all the different shortcut keys that a screen reader software has. And so I started expanding the work that I was doing in the coding area to work on screen reader issues as well. So that was really the first time I got into it. <clears throat> and prior to that, it was really just coding for you know features and, and things like that. And then it got more and more involved with working on accessibility related issues that our software had. And so I spent less time writing new features and more time writing code that would fix accessibility issues. Um, yeah, let me uh, let me just jump in there and you know just explore that part of your career a little bit more. And so so you 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 had this uh, uh, you already a, a deep understanding of of, of code and, and identifying how that was related to accessibility. At that point in in time, you know, looking back twenty years ago, uh, the Web Accessibility Initiative was uh, still relatively. Uh, young, what, like, how did you, like, pull the pieces together in, you know, like, knowing what was, you know, the best practices and things at the time? What you, what kind of resources uh, did you find at the time to be able to help you move forward? Yeah, the resources were more limited at the time, or perhaps the resources were there, but we didn't know about them, right? You know, there, there's a lot of great companies out there today that have you know, you can go on YouTube and just do a search on accessibility best practices, and you can find tons of stuff now. I mean, we have conferences and people posting podcasts and doing interviews like yours, and there's all kinds of information out there now, which is fantastic. Uh, back then, much more limited, uh, so a lot of it was self-taught and things that we would work on, you know, kind of bouncing ideas off each other. Uh, internally, we, we started building up a, a smaller group a small group of accessibility people. And so we would bounce ideas off each other. We mainly had to use the, um, really, because we're a US company, we had to use the Section 508 uh, rule set. 
you know, which had a checklist of things to work on. This was prior to Section 508 uh, getting in line with WCAG 2.0 at the time. So it had its own list of things that you would check for. So that's what we would base it on. Uh, I guess we had WCAG 1.0 uh, as well. But so it was really nice when 2.0 came out. You know, I think that was around uh, 2009, 2008, 2009. So when that came out and then it was fantastic when Section 508 was updated, was refreshed to point to WCAG 2.0. So now we had a common set of things that we could check for and it, and it was fantastic. It made things so much more consistent, especially when other countries started using that same guideline. So now when you're, you know, when you're focusing on the, a checklist like WCAG that you knew it was going to be good for the U.S., it's good for Canada, it's good for Europe, it's good for Asia, you know, it was, it was fantastic at that point. And, and so then af after this uh, early period, um, you know, what was the next stage that you uh, moved into? Yeah, we quick quickly found out that having me write code to fix accessibility issues and then, um, well, when I was writing it initially, it was great for the particular product I was working on, but certainly did not scale. You know, any company that has more than one product, you can't have one developer work on one particular area of the thing and, and fix it all. And so we hired a few other developers that were interested in accessibility. And so we, you know, expanded our team a little bit and were able to cover cover a few more products. And that was okay for a while too. But again, it does not scale, uh, especially when you have, you know, we had a hundred, over a hundred products, different software products. And so, you know, it took a while for this light bulb to go off to say, hey, you know, we need to really scale this better and really, and I'm, and I'm talking from the technical standpoint, but from a software engineering perspective, every developer should be responsible for their own code, just like it is now with any kind of functional, functionality that you write in your code, that the uh, a developer should be responsible for their own code and the accessibility of their own code, you know, the internationalization, the localization, all this, all the features that go with a particular piece of code, developers should own all of that. So we wanted to share the knowledge that we had of writing code to be accessible with all our developers. And so we started doing training and I started, I came up with a curriculum and wrote some classes and started teaching and sharing to other developers the things that I had done and the things that I had learned so that we could spread that knowledge out to everybody. And really that was the key. That's when we started making a lot of progress. And um, just a quick side note on that. So, you know, once we got things fixed, and this was kind of a reactive approach, right? We already had code that was written. We wanted to see how accessible it was. And we had to go back and fix issues. That's not the best way to do it if you have the time um, set aside. Really need to back up that whole process and work with designers to make sure that accessibility is built in from the beginning and that designs are reviewed for accessibility. They're annotated and, and written up so that when developers get those designs, they understand and can code accessibility right from the beginning. And so it's not reactive. You're not writing a whole bunch of code and then figuring out hey, is this accessible? You know, you're actually doing it from the beginning. So we started training designers as well. And then we also wanted to uh, teach and train testers because even though you trust the developer to do the right thing, you want to confirm, right, that everything was done properly. So you need a way to, to test that at the end. And hopefully the developer is testing as well as they're writing code, but you need a, 
system of checks and balances, you want to make sure that indeed the code was written properly and that it works great with a Braille device or a magnification or a screen reader or you know all different types of assistive technology. So the key there really was training and education, which was a fantastic thing for me to learn and it's what I've taken into other companies, uh, no matter which company I go into, especially ones that want to uh, really do a lot of the work in-house instead of hiring out. Uh, education is the key, just understanding really the basics of accessibility and what to think about and what to look for as you're designing and as you're coding and as you're testing. And, uh, and then is that what led you into uh, being more on the consulting side of things or advisory? Yeah, it did. And, and I did accessibility work for a long time at the first company I was at. And then the more I saw, and, and it was great work. We did, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we had a lot of different products and it was fantastic. But I started seeing that there's lots of companies out there that need help. And so I just started, you know, kind of looking around to see what else was out there. And, and more and more accessibility companies were coming about that really their main focus was helping other companies with accessibility. And I found that very fascinating because then instead of me helping one company on a particular type of product, I was able to branch out and work with, you know, with banks or credit card companies or work with universities or work with the you know, big retail companies. And just to see the variety, um, well, it's kind of two sides of it. You see the variety of the different type of work that all these companies need, but then you also see the commonality, right? They all need help with headings and tables and lists and image alternate text and, and user interface and keyboard and screen reader. And, you know, really it's like they're all different, but they're all the same. So it was really fascinating seeing that aspect. You mentioned, uh, you know, that, that important concept uh, sometimes called shift left, where uh, yep. work is going into foundational research and design, which then leads to a, a, a design specification with the accessibility built in, and and that's certainly uh, you know a really great way to uh, approach that. Um, you know, as you know, I work with evangelizing accessibility to the clients of our organization, and uh, you know, I still find that you know a lot of those conversations are are still kind of stuck or at least begin with the uh the remediation compliance part of it that's kind of where uh, you know a lot of organizations uh first start thinking about it um when you were working in that uh, advisory role or consulting uh you know what what was your experience in that area did you have a lot of uh of that or or were you able to find more progressive uh situations I think uh, probably one of the biggest challenges is getting a company to care about accessibility. Um, you know, you really have to, you can have, developers can be very passionate about it, designers can be very passionate about it, but if you don't have upper management that really is locked into it and interested in it and understand the importance of it, it can sometimes be hard to make some headway that way. And you might have to do some internal evangelizing to try to get the you know the the um i guess the motivation out there and you know th there's all kinds of great reasons for accessibility um one of my favorite though is in the actual definition of wcag where it talks about 
in this if if you just did like a Google search on WCAG 2.1 or whatever your favorite version is, you get to the main uh, w3.org webpage, and it talks about you know what is the web you know what are the web accessibility uh, guidelines. That uh, it says yes, the, the guy if you follow the guidelines, you can make your software more accessible to a greater variety of people, which is fantastic. But for me, the key is like the second part of that sentence where it says, and it also makes your product just usable, more usable for everybody, right? It just makes a better product. So that's really fantastic feature. And that really should be the driving focus uh, for most companies. Um, you know, there's all tons of other reasons you want people to be able to use the software and be self-sufficient. You know, if I'm on a, a doctor website, I should be able to log in, check test results or schedule a meeting, you know, a, a doctor's appointment without having to get, you know, a neighbor to come in and go, hey, can you can you read these test results for, for me because it's not accessible with the screen reader? You know, it's kind of a privacy and personal issue. So it's really a, a self-sufficiency thing that you help people be able to do what they want to do, uh, just like everybody else wants to do what they want to do. And that's those are really some of the driving uh, factors there. And, and of course, legal mitigation, you know, that comes into play, but I always try to, I don't downplay it because it certainly is an important issue, but I really don't want that to be a motivating factor, right? Because when you think about legal issues, that's kind of a fear factor and fear is not a great motivator uh, for doing work. Really, you want to do it for a more, maybe an altruistic type type of, uh, for reasonings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and certainly the return on investment. Uh, there's so many oh, yeah. you know organizations I've talked with that just uh, never really uh, you know realized that they potentially they've been shutting out a, a significant uh, portion of their possible uh, customer base uh, by not being fully accessible. Exactly. Yeah, and I think one of the probably one of the misconceptions or one of the most common misconceptions with companies thinking about accessibility is that it it's such a huge um i don't know if it's a huge thing to overcome or it's a huge topic and while accessibility does cover a lot of areas and especially if you're just getting into it and you're going all right so where's my checklist all right wcag which version are we going to use all right we'll use 2.1 we want to be level double a you've got all these terms initially that are that could be kind of confusing at first but even once you get all that down, you go, man, there's a, here's a list of 50 things I need to look at on every screen in my mobile app or every page on my website. That's a lot of checking I have to do, right? Just to see if everything, and that's a minimal baseline. You know, WCAG really is just, here's the minimum you need to do. And hopefully we can go above and beyond that and focus on usability in addition to accessibility. But given all of that, even though it might feel very large at first, when it comes down to it, anytime I review a website or an app, most of the issues are pretty simple. Um, you know, they're, they're very easy to fix for the most part. I would say, you know, 85, if you want to put a number on it, 85, 90% of accessibility issues are, you know, one or two line changes, add an attribute here or there, super easy to fix. And I think where maybe some of the time constraints come in are that maybe it's the volume of issues that you find, right? Maybe you don't have any headings on your page. You know, well, it's easy to fix, change it to an H2 or an H3. Well, but if you have a lot of headings and you have, you know, 150 websites or web pages in your thing, well, that adds up. So 
but I think, you know, I, I try to, I try to ease some of the anxiety there to say that, look, when it comes down to it, fixing accessibility issues, it's super easy thinking about it in advance, as you mentioned, shift left, uh, with the design, making sure it's annotated in the design is super easy. And, you know, fixing the things, as long as you have time, if you're in a reactive mode and you have to fix existing code, that really it's not too bad, especially when you have pages that are built on templates. So you can fix the template and now it just fixed a whole bunch of other pages. And it's a, not a, a monolithic, uh, do all of this or nothing. Uh, we're, we're in such an iterative situation. There's so many things you can do and any one of them help move things forward and improve some aspect for our, uh, for our users. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. You don't, you know, you don't have to eat the whole elephant in one bite, right? You just uh, do it piecemeal and, and really anything that you do, you know, let's say you only fixed a, a dozen bugs on this page or whatever. Well, that's great. That's that much better. And it certainly is a, a timeline and kind of a spectrum on, on, you know, how much you can fix. And every bit that you can do now will be fantastic. And that anything that you fix now, you also learn that, oh, well, you know, I see how I should have done this in the first place. So now when you're writing the next page, you're going to do that automatically. And, you know, so you, you've already are a step ahead when you're writing new uh, new pages because of that past experience. Well, uh, you had uh, this variety of experience in accessibility. What are some of the things that you're passionate about now? Are there any particular uh, uh, initiatives or techniques or technologies or processes that you're, uh, you know, that you're particularly excited with now or, or looking into the future? I, I like to share what I've learned. And I think most people in the accessibility area are the same. And it's really a fascinating area just because most people are in the accessibility field because either for personally for personal reasons they need you know they need some accessibility features or they have family members or friends or other people that need accessibility features. So there's a lot of personal tie-in to accessibility work. And so really the accessibility community is just a fantastic group of people. You know, everyone has great attitudes and wants to help each other and and so I just like to share what I've learned over these years. Uh, there's a variety of different ways I do that. There's lots of online forums. Um, you know, there's forums where people post questions and, and people answer. And, and even given what I've done for these many years, I'm always learning from other people's postings or maybe a feature here or there or an attribute that I said, oh, you know, I've never really used that. Let me go play with it. And, and I learned something new just from other people uh, posting it. So I, you know, I focus a lot. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy, whether it's internally at a single company or if I'm working with a variety of different companies, is this education piece and being able to share that and help teach. You know, I've always thought about being a teacher in general, you know, like a school teacher uh, and sharing knowledge. And so this is kind of a little bit of a way that I can kind of get that feeling, but I'm sharing technical knowledge in this particular case. And so that's what I enjoy doing. And then I love working because of my access, my um, engineering background. I love working with development teams. You know, I, I speak that language because I am that kind of person. I am, a, I am still an engineer. And so I love to work with developers. And again, going back to the easing that anxiety type thing where 
if they've been asked to focus on accessibility, they're not quite sure what it is, you know, what is ARIA, you know, what are these ARIA attributes in HTML, you know, is this another language or what? And, you know, I say, no, it's just, you know, it's part of HTML. It's part of what you've been doing all along and, and being able to share that. So, yeah, my passion right now, I think, is sharing the knowledge, whether it's, whether it's through official training type classes or informally with online forums or Slack channels. Um, it's just a great thing, especially working with people who are just getting into accessibility, you know, because we want to keep this, you know, this ball rolling with uh, the work we've done with accessibility in the past and get more and more people involved with it and uh, excited about it. One of the things I like to uh, ask people about in, in this series, since, uh, you know, so many of you have such uh, a lot of experiences, just kind of reflect on perspective of how far we've come. How, how far we still have to go. I, I've been doing this work for about 20 years. And it, you know, when I kind of look back, I, in some ways, I think there's just been amazing dramatic shifts uh, assisted by technology. And then in other ways, I, you know, if I went back 20 years, I would have thought we would have been a little farther along than we are today in terms of uh, uh, accessibility being, you know, widely available. So, yeah, toss it over to you, kind of what's been your perspective in that area? Yeah, there certainly are. I mean, you can look at the pros and cons of where we are today. Um, you know, one of the, I think one of the great things that WebAIM, uh, which is an accessibility research company, that they've done over the past couple of years is the, the WebAIM Million. I don't know if you've heard of that, but, you know, they analyze the top 1 million websites uh, that are popular uh, around, I think it's around the world, uh, globally, and just analyzing the results there and see what kind of accessibility issues are just on the home pages of these most popular uh, things and uh, most popular companies. And it's kind of, it's disheartening to see how many issues are still out there, even though, as you mentioned, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years or so. But it's also great to see, I think, um, from a job perspective, there are companies out there always posting all the time that they want accessibility, maybe not accessibility experts because you know it takes time to learn all this stuff, but somebody who is interested and has a desire to learn about accessibility, that it's their the job aspect out there is fantastic, right? I mean, you can go to uh, a11yjobs.com and there's always job postings out there. You can go to um, the Slack channel has a jobs. Uh, well, the Slack workspace has a jobs channel for accessibility, and there's always postings there as well. And really, you could go to, if you were just interested in any particular company, you could go to their job career site and list the job page and do a search for the term accessibility in the title, and you can almost always find something. So in that respect, it's kind of a pro, right, because there are some great jobs out there. Um, that also means that companies are listening and are interested in accessibility and so much so that they want to hire someone whose full-time job is accessibility. So in that respect, it's great. You know, the word is getting out there and, and companies are interested in it. And, uh, but as I mentioned before, you know, where we are now, why we aren't further ahead than we are, you know, I don't, you know, it takes time. Um, but I, I try not to look at um, maybe not how far along we are or, you know, how depressed it might be that we aren't further along, but looking at how much progress we have made and how it's getting more and more popular out there now. 
Well, I think it's uh, great that you brought, brought up that uh, you know, positive, optimistic uh, reality that there is there are so many opportunities for people to us uh, to uh, decide to come into this area. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and uh, mentioned all those resources. And I'll put those uh, those into the show notes because it certainly is uh, you know a great time to be looking for opportunities to uh, be a professional in this area. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, and there's you know, there's a new group of you know, new generation of accessibility people coming in. And one of the things I wish we had more of was in university uh, curriculum, right? As part of the computer science degree program or as part of a design, digital design degree program is to have a class, you know, a full semester class, at least on accessibility. I think that would be fantastic because it really is something that all developers that take a computer science degree should understand about and all designers because of the shift left and you know designers have a lot of impact on what developers do that everyone understands all these things so it would be great if we could work more with universities in getting that built into to curriculum yeah i i agree that and i teach at the university of washington and and that's something uh uh, that's continuing to improve there, but yeah, yeah, I agree. That's going to be a really important area moving into the future. Um, well, uh, Glenn, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, tell us about your journey and share some of your uh, insights and experiences. And I look forward to uh, meeting up with you at a event in person at some point. Yeah, it'll be great to get back into it. You know, it was unfortunate when COVID came out and it was right around CSUN was just uh, about to roll out. And so people kept dropping out of that, you know, back in 2020. So it's great to see conferences. Well, actually the positive side of that, right, was so much online, you know, meetups and conferences were now online and people could participate more economically, right? You could just maybe pay your conference fee, but you don't have to, you don't have to travel. And this pointed out issues in various, you know, video, like we're using Zoom here, you know, what are the accessibility features of Zoom? Can I navigate through all the buttons and things with a screen reader and, and with my keyboard? And it was a fantastic thing, you know, if you think of the, the silver lining of COVID that because of all the online work that had to be done, there was a lot of accessibility gaps uh, in, in online productivity tools. And now those things were quickly fixed because they were very focused. You know, we had to have things that worked. And so, yeah, it, it will be great to be back in person. You know, it's great to have face-to-face -face interaction with everybody, but we certainly did learn a lot, you know, from the pandemic and, and using all kinds of digital online tools. Well, uh, again, thanks for uh, participating in this and uh, see you soon. All right, thanks, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. 
but we bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.